Suicide has its own spirit. So you go, it's gonna go. I'm Jenny Doctor and this is Sacred Teachings. This week's episode is about preventing suicide in our communities. This message is for all, not just indigenous people. Guest host Peter Downey visits with frontline workers at the Saguin First Nation and Anishinaabe community in Manitoba. Thanks, Jenny. What's becoming clear in these discussions of indigenous suicides is that where one lives is substantially less important than what one lives. From a remote community in Nunavut to the concrete urban realities of Tucson, Arizona, to the northern territory of Australia, there are global and difficult truths of indigenous existence, which must be understood. They must be appreciated before progress can be made. There's the systemic racism, alienation, and the historical and personal brokenness that every soul has to navigate. But in addition to those contributing factors, it's at least equally true that these communities have a profound resilience and a deep conviction that the future can be better. In this episode, we're at the mouth of the Winnipeg River. It's about 120 kilometers northeast of the city of Winnipeg. This is where the Sagin Anishinaabe First Nation has lived for time immemorial. This community of 9,000 struggles with the same challenges facing Indigenous communities around the world, and it's not immune to the high rate of suicide, particularly among young people. Chief Derek Henderson and Councillors Aaron Korshen and Linda Dory have devoted themselves to making a difference in the health and well-being of their community. And it starts with awareness. Chief Henderson knows all too well the presence that suicide has in the lives of the people he serves. The suicide in, in any community, right, is devastating, right? And I think for, for our community, you know, I mean, we, um, we are one of the larger First Nations in Manitoba, we're probably the third largest. We're over 9,000 people now, and we have approximately 50% living on and 50% off. But I think a lot of it has to do with, with the, peop, uh, the individual self-worth, right? I mean, one of the things that we're dealing with in our community is, and, and, and all the communities, is the shortage of housing, the, the issue with addictions, uh, the overcrowdedness, uh, high unemployment. You know, and I think if, if you were to provide those measures to our people, I think that, you know, we wouldn't even be talking about suicide, right? Because, I mean, the people would have a place they can call home. They can have a place where they can go to work. They can get up in the morning, feel good about themselves, go to work, come home and have a family and have economic stability, right? And I think that's one of the biggest factors that I, I really believe in is, is, you know, causes you know, the, the, the rate of suicide in our Indigenous communities. It must weigh very heavily on you knowing, knowing these problems um, exist in your community and, and trying to come up with something that works. Um, what have you been able to do? Everybody has a responsibility. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're in leadership, 
you're the health director, you're the treatment center director, you're the CFS director. I think if we can, if we can all be supportive of individuals, you know, I, I think that then at least then they'll, they'll feel good. They know they can go to somebody. We we have a lot of good supports in our community and I, and I can, and I can say that, you know, uh, you know, uh, with, with, with no problem of, of, of the staff that we have, you know, within our, within our system, like we have our treatment facility, we have our health center, we have our own doctor, we have our own nurse practitioners, we have our own uh, self-harm, we have our own harm reduction team, uh, we have transportation facilities for, for people, you know, we, we just put in a, a temporary shelter for our, our people that don't have homes, home, I don't like using the word homeless, but they are homeless, they have nowhere to go, they're couch surfers, so, you know, we, Two weeks ago, we know the weather was going to be predicted to be very cold, which is now it is very cold for the last week and a half. So we put a, we worked with the health center, uh, the church, the, the harm reduction team in Pine Falls, probably our neighboring community, uh, our treatment center, you know, our, our, our leadership. We all got together and said, you know what, let's put something up. So we have a 10 bed temporary shelter in the Roman Catholic church, mm. you know, and it's manned 24, it's manned overnight when the people are there. You know, yeah. they're provided supper, they're provided breakfast, they're provided games to do, you know. So it's more of the caring. You have to be caring in order for people to really, you know, understand, you know, what does caring really mean? And that's being concerned for them no matter what. Is it working? I mean, have you noticed a, a change in the community? Well, you know, I've been, in, I've been involved in now in politics Geez, by the time I'm done, it'll be 14 years. So, I mean, it's been a long time, right, as a council member and, and now as a chief, right? And I really believe that what we do, every little measure that we do, will, will show incremental success in the community, whether it's one person, two people, a family, right? If we can, if we can address the needs of those, that, that one family or that one individual, we, we, we've accomplished a lot. You know, and it's hard when you see our people suffer and what they go through, you know, and, and we only have so many, so much resources, but we use our people resources. I think human resources are the most critical thing because, you know, we can go on, uh, we can go watch a, a show about depression or about suicide, but how meaningful is that, right? I think it's more me and you talking. Mr. Downey, that, that makes more sense, right? You know, and I have people that come to my office and just chit chat, you know, like I always say, you know, well, where do you want to be in your life, right? I mean, we have a little a hard, hard conversation sometimes, you know. I mean, we know they're having addiction problem. We know they're having alcohol problem. We know they're having these, these problems. But just a listening ear is, is important, I think. And I think that's most critical. What I'm hearing you saying is that it, it's that human connection that, that you have found makes a difference. Yes, and also the whole issue of of community, right? If the community supports are there, like if a council member calls me, you know, we have an issue, right? And then, you know, we'll talk about how we can address that individual, right? You know, whether it's the health center or or our safety officers, you know, somebody to just to that caring attitude, right? Because that's what it's all about. If we can uh, provide that. A compassion it's compassion i think sometimes that we need to uh to help instead of stigmatizing them as being an addict right that's what the problem is sometimes with society right oh that and i'll be blunt with you mr downey you know when you watch the news about the indigenous people i get very 
very uh, upset and angry inside. You know, my stomach churns. People talk about, you know, our people as being bad people. And we're the most loving people. I can tell you that. We're the most loving people. If you were to come to sagging, there'd be open arms for you, for you to come out there. And, you know, what do you want to see, Mr. Downey? You know, Listen, I know you've got to get back to a meeting, so uh, yeah. um, I just I just wanted to thank you so much for giving us your perspective. Is there anything else you'd like to say that that you think other other people outside your community should understand about the about the rate of suicide or the incidence of suicide? You know, I it's always a tough it's always a tough subject, right? You know, uh, to talk about because I mean. I experienced it in my family, right? One of my younger brothers, right? So, I mean, it, it's not a, it hits home when we talk about it, but, you know, then, and I'll never know the answer, right? As to why, right? We'll never know why people do what, you know, do something like that. I mean, he was just young and very, you know, he had a great job and everything was going for him, right? The world, he had the world in front of him and, and gone the next day, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a really, uh, tough thing to talk about because of that you know the uh, the stigmatization i think is the biggest the biggest issue right because you know i i was thinking about the uh the homeless in winnipeg i i called the grand chief this morning when i saw the article about people using bus shelters for homes we have lots of vacant hotels why can't we put them up there instead of sticking them in a shelter right or sticking them in a bus shelter for, when it's minus 41 this morning can you imagine sleeping in a bus shelter minus 41, you know, and, and that's what our people do and that's what they do. So, you know, I think that's, that's where the, the issue is, right. That, that whole, I, I, I believe it's listening ear and, and compassion. That's, that's the big ones. I think that need to be uh, set out there. Don't, don't stigmatize people because of what, how they look or how they feel or how they're walking down the street with their head down. You know, those kind of things, because that's what people make. They make judgment on people, right? Right away, it's judgment. And that's where people, they'll never reach out for help because of that, because now they're being judged, right? And, and they're not going to ever reach out. So then people have to have those open arms and open ears to, to the people. Right. Well, look, thank, if I ever get there, please call me Peter. Okay. Mr. Down makes me nervous. <laughs> okay. Okay, Peter, I will. You're welcome to come out to SAG. You know, I always okay. invite our people. I always invite our people out to our Treaty Day celebration. It's a one-week celebration. And, and you would see, uh, you know, our Indigenous people, how proud they are of who they are and their culture, how they want to share and how they want to love other people. It's very evident there. It's evident in our community all the time, you know, and uh, and I can say that, you know, uh, with, with a good heart that, you know, our, our council members can, can attest to that too. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you very okay. much. That's Chief Derek Henderson of the Seguin Anishinaabe First Nation in Manitoba. Aaron Korshen and Linda Dory are counselors who work tirelessly to improve the lives around them. They're with us now. And I know you've been listening to the words of Chief Henderson, and I'm wondering what you're thinking about the challenges in the community. I want to take it a whole nother step there because uh, like Chief talked about like kind of a little bit of the political sense there on what he thought about suicide. I think one of the main components that he's really missing is um, that the intergenerational trauma. trauma, it plays a really big role why our people are the way they are. The fact is, is our people are lost of what all the stuff that happened 
our identity isn't quite there. You were fighting every day to to find our, our Anishinaabe identity, you know, to those connections that we once had to the land were broken. Those connections to our culture were broken. That doesn't mean they're not there. They're lost. And a lot of our kids are, are urging, like, even when they go to ceremonies or they go to the powwow, they hear that drum and inside them, I know that we all feel it. There's that beat when you hear that drum, you feel something, but you can't pinpoint it. It's a memory that's within our blood. All our bloodlines have memory. And we all know that there's a there's a big piece component missing in our lives. Like we, we do have our traditionals here. We do have our ceremonies that are coming back, but our kids aren't being connected the way they should be, the way, you know, our, our grandparents were, where they were raised, you know, off the land, they were raised in these ceremonies, you know, since they were, since they were born, since they were able to walk us, you know, we go through life and it's like, there's something missing. And then we, we were fighting and fighting to try to reconnect. And that's the point we're at. And that's where I think a lot of those suicide tendencies come in because our people, our kids feel so lost and disconnected. And that plays a really big part on what's going on and why our rates of suicide in all our First Nations are there so high because that disconnect is, the, is, is there. They don't understand it. They don't know why they feel so lonely. They don't know what's, why they want, they want something more. You know, you can give a kid all the love. They can come from a good home. They can have the money, the clothes and stuff. All that can still be there, but there's still something missing and they're still lonesome for something and they can't even describe it because I know for myself, I grew up in a tr somewhat of a traditional family, you know, and even I at times struggled, you know, that's my personal experience. I struggled everybody because there's this disconnect. Does that make sense to you? Oh, Absolutely, that makes sense to me. But it raises the question of how, as health professionals, do you repair those lost connections? How do you make the reconnections? That's the next thing. Like within our communities, you know, this generation of us that are coming to, to work for our people, we're recognizing we're way more self-aware than the generations prior because of those hurts, those hurts those generational hurts are slowly being healed. You know, our parents did a good job as best they could from their parents because their parents didn't know how to parent because of residential school that parented our parents that was still had that residential school stigma there. They did day school, though that generation, and there was still a lot of a breakdown of the family dynamics weren't quite there. And then it comes to ours and each generation where we're praying and we're hoping not all the families are, are quite there yet, but majorities are, are, are healing and they're starting to get back that family dynamic. And that was one of the biggest thing when it came to, colonializing us you know the breakdown of the families the they wanted us to be the perfect white person i'm sorry to say you know i don't i have nothing against whites They're, that that isn't it they just didn't want us to be who we were mm -hmm. you know they they wanted to break down all, everything that that we were with our our family dynamics our our spiritual sense our connection and they did a really good job at doing it and they're very close to doing it but you know what we're coming back 
that isn't who we are anymore and we're fighting. And that's the difference is our generation here, we are trying to do those programs. We're trying to, you know, our school system was, is, if it wasn't for COVID, we would have been doing a lot more programming of um, land-based okay. education. You know, taking our kids on the land, showing them how to snare, showing them how to hunt, showing them how to pick berries. You know how many kids don't know what berries to eat in the bush? And, and to us, that's sad, you know, are even simple things of, you know, the medicines. There's certain medicines that we should be, you know, we should harvesting. be harvesting, drinking, utilizing them. All the medicines in the world, you know, all the white man's medicines, we don't need those. We have them. We have that and so much more. You know, like in our culture is so enriched and that's the difference is that we're trying so hard right now to, to develop these new programs that are geared around our ways to bring back our kids. So Aaron, you're saying that it's this intergenerational trauma that is at the root of, of this high rate of indigenous suicides. I think we need to keep in mind that, you know, like residential school played a very, very big role on, on our community dynamics. As, as I matured and got older, I totally understand why our people went towards, you know, the alcohol and the addictions and stuff because of the hurt. Like if you truly heard the stories that our grandparents, great grandparents had to endure, you would, you would be mad too. You know, even their parents, like, can you imagine, Peter, how, do you have any kids of yourself? No. No? No. Nope. Okay. No. Do you have any nieces or nephews that you totally adore? Yes. Okay. <laughs> now think of this. Now think of somebody coming along that you never met in ever at four years old coming to your house, banging on your door saying, I'm taking this kid four years old, five years old, and there's not a damn thing you can do. If we're not allowed to take this kid, you're going to jail. Can you imagine how that would make you feel as a parent or an aunt or an uncle seeing this? Like, this was horrendous. And of course, you know, people are self trying to self-soothe, and that's where our, the alcoholism comes in and the addictions. And, you know, they lost that. Not, not only are kids lost being kids and having loving parents, but our parents lost being parents. You know what I mean? And then they come back and then all, they have all this guilt behind it, you know, about not being able to raise that kid. Those connections aren't there between those families, you know, both sides, you know, the, the kid comes back when they're 16 to 18. Of course, they're going to, you know what I mean? Hit those addictions. What else do they have to soothe? Because they weren't taught how to soothe lovingly, how to talk out their problems, you know, for the longest time, you know, the way I was raised, you never talked about your feelings. You know, that, that was one effect from residential school that was passed down, that was passed down, you know, from my father. And I broke that cycle. You don't talk about your feelings. That's a sign of weakness. You don't show that, you know. You don't talk about those things that, that hurt you because you don't. You know, if somebody hurt you or touched you or did anything, you don't talk about that. That's just the way it is in, in our family because that was what was instilled in us from residential school. Mm -hmm. Linda is. I mean, I just want you, wanted you to sort of come in too. Is is this? This is clearly your experience as well. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because you know what? Um, I live on the other side of Saigon and Aaron lives on uh, South shore of Saigon and, you know, same similar family dynamics. We come from big families and, you know, we like, you know, uh, our grandparents shared the same stories with us of growing up and going into residential school and also day, day school, you know, and, and our, our, like our, we, you know, the young, the grandchildren have a really good relationship with their, their grandparents. And I was fortunate enough to live with my grandparents and hear, some of their stories, you know, and, and, and sometimes when my, like, uh, my grandparent, my grandfather was, uh, like under the, the influence of, uh, alcohol, he would share stuff that was, was, uh, not very nice of what, what he, what had happened to him at the residential school here in Saigon. And, you know, on his deathbed, my grandpa died when he was 92. And this was maybe about four years ago. And he shared like, you know, that when he was at the residential school, that, you know, he was only there to uh, tend, like he was used as uh, to the farm and to hear his stories like growing up. And, you know, I'm, I'm in my forties and I, you know, I, I just cringe, you know, and I, you know, when, when he died, he shared a lot of those hurts, that trauma. We've had many people come to our program at, uh, at uh, the health center with the Red Road to Healing and same stories, same, you know, feelings of um, suicide, ideation. Um, depression, anxiety, you know, helping them get through, getting through um, to talk to somebody was, was, um, was one of the first steps that many of them, um, you know, had to do walking into those doors and said, I need help. And, you know, we were there. And whenever, whenever somebody reached out after hours, we were there because we know how that felt. We know that that journey, you need somebody that's going to be compassionate, kind, and that's going to, you know, lead you on that uh, red road to healing. You know, our our, our uh, traditional teachings, our sacred teachings, as you know, are important in in any walks of life. I'm just thinking of 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 your grandfather and and I guess the, the terrible stories that he told you. Do you think, in either of your cases, with elders, do you think that one of the reasons they didn't talk about this is they wanted to protect you from? what their reality was? Well, you know, my mom is, uh, she speaks fluent Ojibwe. And I was told, and I asked her when I got older, you know, I was mad because it was like, you know, you speak when you're out there with, you know, family or whoever, you know, how come you didn't teach me when I was a kid, you know? And her th- her thought was, you know how bad I had it in school? She said, I never, ever let you have that in school. She said, so that's why I didn't teach you. And that was her mindset right up until I graduated. And it was like, hey, like, I'm older now. Can you start teaching me? Like, why didn't you? But the thing is, she's teaching the grandkids. And to me, mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing. Like, my, my nieces and nephews, like, we're, we're all smart asses. You know, that Anishinaabe humor, really smart asses. You know what I mean? And these kids come up to you and they're like, you, you smell like poo, good auntie. And it's like, well, I know what it means now. You know, that's fart, right? And it's like, oh, get out of here. You know what I mean? Like, it's cute, but it's like, you know, it's it's awesome to see that they can raz in, 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 in the language, you know? And it's, 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 there's a light at the end of that tunnel, you know? Yeah. Linda, what did your grandfather teach you? What did you learn from him? Resiliency. I have to say, like, what I learned from, from him is just, like, the work ethics, keep working, keep being resilient, don't give up. You know, it's something that you'll have to work through. And, you know, one of the things that um, my parents, though, the, uh, my dad speaks the language, 
but my mom doesn't speak the language, you know, and she understands it, but she, her, she lost it. And we right, right now, like even in schools, my kids speak a few, a few, um, a few sentences, but still can't speak fluently, you know. And one thing that I do know from our family, like from my grandpa, that I learned is our worth ethics. Keep working, you know, and keep uh, taking care of family because make sure you share and always um, be willing to help everyone, you know, that that needs that helping hand because not you you go around in the community we're all related we're all related and and you know one thing you when when your your neighbor's struggling or stuck in a ditch help them and that's what i learned from my grandpa is uh, always help help out help out with the churches volunteer your time make sure you're you're always uh ready and willing you know uh make always have food in your in your um your pantry um stockpile that's that's a big thing against with first nations yeah. no matter who comes to your door you gotta feed, feed them. them yeah <laughs> and my friends are like how come you're always trying to feed me yeah because <laughs> that's what my grandma was that's how i was raised right there was always food on her mm -hmm. table it was always every yeah. kukum's house had was we had soup and bath. no matter where you went there yeah. was something there when mm -hmm. we were growing up yeah and those even those lessons are are getting lost yeah it isn't quite the same nowadays so you both work with um, Chief Henderson um, as counselors. You have different responsibilities. How how do you see your roles in the community? You know, we're always out, you know, doing what needs to be done for our people, no matter who they are, whether there's an addiction or whether they're at their lowest point. Like, we, we're the ones that started up our, our homeless shelter because we've seen the need. We've seen that our people needed help because of what's going on with COVID right now. Right now with COVID, the doors are being shut because families are scared of the transit ones that are like ho like couch surfing mm -hmm. because now they're scared that the COVID is going to come into their home. So those doors are being shut. And now these people are really got nowhere to go. And that's what we're trying to counteract and to help them. Like, I don't see it as a weakness. I see it as everybody's on their own journey and you know, this is creator's will that, you know, we just got to have faith that he knows what he's doing with everyone, that everyone's here for a lesson, for a teaching. And I guess that's their teaching. You know, I, I, I don't understand it, but I will not look down on anyone because just, that's not who we are as people. We never, you're not there to judge. We're just there to help, you know, make sure that they, they have some, their food, they have food to eat, they have some clothes, they have somewhere safe to be. You know, and we encourage them if they need, um, like somebody to talk to, we, we make it aware on our Facebook page, on our, on our own personal feeds. Hey, if you need somebody to talk to, we work closely with people who we know that will help and reach out and, and, uh, and basically who care, who care for these individuals who are in these, in, uh, in these vulnerable situations, you know, but the fact is that we have, the more people we have, the, is the better the better thing and the more training we can get for the people the better because in the long run or it'll help our people heal yeah. i um before i worked for the health center before i became counsel i used to uh i actually worked with cfs for many many years so i worked with a lot of youth right and i even fostered and um we had a we had a suicide in our home me and my husband and it was 
very difficult day. Like even now, it still brings still really it bugs me. You know what I mean? But you know, I have faith that you know that's creator's will and that's not mine to carry. You know, because for years it was very very difficult that that healing road when something like that happens. You know, like I literally cut this young girl down and literally tried to breathe life back into her and it was it was it was very hard you know like it literally broke me and my husband for a long long time but it also we got a lot of teachings out of it like for years you know I, I wondered and I asked questions and I you know I wanted to know why <laughs> you know for myself and my own journey of of this this suicide and one of the things that I was taught is Anishina Bays, we're all taught that everything has a spirit, everything, you know, that rock you pick up has a spirit, that plant you pick has a spirit, everything has a spirit, and that goes for suicide, suicide has its own spirit, doesn't mean it's a good spirit, not all spirits are good spirits, there's the balance, right, but that suicide is a spirit, and I've seen it, I looked at it, I talked to it, I, I know that it's a spirit, and I know it's there, because it lingered after all of this happened. I've seen it. I felt it. And I think a lot of people, you know, as Nishnabes, they, they forget those, those teachings that, you know, when it comes to spirits and when it comes to, you know what I mean, having those connections and stuff, you know, that if, if people have awareness of this, it's not as bad as you think it is. Like if you, I'll give it awareness and say, hey, you know, you're a spirit. I don't want you in my house. I don't want you near me. I know what you're doing. I can hear you whispering. I can hear you telling me to do this and, and, and telling me these bad things that nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. Nobody, you know, that's what that spirit does. It, 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 it eats little waves at you and a little waves at you when you're at your lowest point. But if it gets recognized and that's like, no, you're not going to do this. Then that power is gone. That spirit has doesn't have that power over you anymore. And our kids, and that's where our culture and our beliefs come in. You got to pray to that higher power to ask. In our culture, everybody, I guess, how would I put it? Like in the church way, you guys call them angels. In us, we call them our guimes. When in the Nishnabes, we go for our names. You guys call them our Indian names. Well, you don't truly understand what that truly means. It's not our names. Those are, those are angels. Those are, we call them our dreamers. Those are the ones that walk with us. Those are the ones that are always with us. We are given, every, every human being has those gleamings that follow them, where we recognize them, we feast them, we know they're there. And those are the ones you call out to when, when you're at a sad point, when you need help. You know, that, you know, you, you ask them to stand with you, to help you, to, to, to stop these feelings, you know, to take them away. You surrender those feelings to them and say, you know, I need this help. And that's for myself as Anishinaabe's, that's where our kids need to come back to. They need to come back to ceremonies. There needs to be more ceremonies in all our communities. That reconnection is a big thing. Because that's our identity. This you got to remember: spirituality is not a religion to us. It's our way of life. Everything, those ceremonies, you know, when we go out and when we do them, when we fast, you know, there's when even like for our kids, rites of passage. The, our rites of passage, you know, for this uh, vision quest for our young boys, that's a big thing. Like I can give you a little bit about it, you know, I'm not going to say lots about it, but you know, when they go out to that vision quest, that they go and ask the creator for those visions to tell them where they're supposed to be. That's their place and purpose. 
women, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of teachings behind of, you know, not how to be a good housewife. It's all about how to respect yourself, how to be that good mom, how to, you know, and that's where a lot of our young girls, and that's why a lot of babies, a lot of our young girls have babies so early because they want to find purpose. And that's what it is, is that purpose. And that's why I think a lot of our young men are lost because they don't have that vision, that that way of showing where they're supposed to be or what they're supposed to do, that connection. That's just a little bit of, mm-hmm. but that needs, those practices need to come home. You both have spoken so eloquently about the, the heartbreak of residential schools and, and, and the damage that they did. Linda, I guess, like specifically to you, how has that affected your relationship with the church? Um, I work closely with the church. Like I t- my, my, my mom and dad are reverends, but uh, at the same time, my grandma, uh, tr- she was a traditional. And, you know, we combine both, you know, where, uh, you know, when we lost my granny, um, you know, we had the, the cer- a ceremony in the church. We had the drum in the church, you know, and it's becoming where uh, they're, it's collaborating. It's collaborating. And one of the biggest things that we had in our community, like when my grandma was alive, is we had all the denominations in, in one, in one uh, building uh, coming to pray for our people because we needed to pray for our missing and murdered Indigenous women. We needed that guidance. And even to this day, like when we have our ceremonies in Sagin, we have that. We have all those different denominations come in and pray, you know, come and pray. Like when I'll give you an example. We had um, uh, uh, two... Uh, two uh, individuals, community members that fell through the ice. You know, we had all our denominations come and pray down by the ice to pray that uh, that we'll find their bodies. You know, and this the, this has not impacted me. You know, uh, we it's more of collaboration and connecting and uh, working together now. And and that's what you know I'm I'm glad to be a part of because you know when somebody's hurting, we're right away we're there to help right away. You know and you know, we see, we see um, the need and the help. Everyone comes together, and it's and that's that connectness, that's unity. And you know, we pray for that unity for our community, so that we could get a lot of things done, that healing and you know, working together and supporting one another, supporting all those denominations that are in the community, and that's a big thing. Like before, they never had well, that's that. What I was gonna say, yeah, about not even ten years ago, it was very taboo yeah. that traditionalists was even welcomed in that church yeah. that each church each denomination it was like it was almost like a war and that's yeah. how it was described to us as mm-hmm. you know with our, with our parents our grandparents vision if, if you were if and you were with one church and the other one was with the other church and it was like a constant fight like oh mine's better than yours vision, you're, better, yeah. you're, you're lower than me and it's like wow but we sure came out of that in the last 10 years and again it's it had a lot to do with our generation coming in and, and healing. You know, with me growing up with my grandma, you know, she was very Christianized and that was her way. And, you know, the rest of my family, we was more traditional and everyone was okay. Like she didn't judge, she didn't mm-hmm. understand it. And she straight said, I don't understand this. You know, I don't get it. Yeah. And she, you know, that wasn't her way. But I remember when I was about 13, 14, we had a sweat lodge outside our house, my family and it. We're right next door to each other. That was... There was me, my dad, my brother, my sister, and a couple of my cousins. Very first time she ever came into a sweat. And the last time, the one and only time. So for us, it was a very big blessing to have Granny come over to do a sweat because she was curious what it was about too. And, 
you know, and that sweat, she talked about Jesus, you know, like yeah, there's times where you, you sit mm-hmm. and you talk, right? And she talked about her beliefs a bit and, you know, we, we, we weren't raised to hate the church, but for myself, a lot of it, I did, I did hate, I did hate the church because when I was in, when I was in high school, we did uh, interviews with a lot of our uh, elders and I heard a lot of stories, mm-hmm. you know, when I was about 15, 16, things I shouldn't have heard, you know, and things when you came out of there, you were crying, like literally I was crying, you know, the ones that were videotaping and, and, and heard these stories because they were blunt and they were true. I heard of the stories of the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, like it was horrific. Like they, you know, the water lines that came from when they finally laid the water lines to go into the residential schools there was six, seven, eight-year-olds digging those trenches. Not, not lying, six, seven, eight-year-olds digging them. And those were the ones that laid those pipes. Can you believe that? Like, Young kids, yeah. That's, but the, that's just the, one of the tamer stories. My grandfather was actually one of them that was um, in the fields having to tend to the, the herd. And he, uh, like the, before he passed away, he said that, that he shared that uh, uh, I was just eight years old and I had to work hard. That's hard, like hard work, you know, backbreaking work for a young kid. They had to haul mud out of the ground and build a grotto and go collect these big rocks and bring them to build a grotto, you know. And, you know, that's that's where, you know, you hear of these the stories. They know we were lucky to hear them because a lot of people didn't share them. But, you know, it you you learn. And also at the same time, you you feel that hurt, and just by listening to their voices, and you know, you want you want to help, you want to help that on, on their path. Like even even like my parents, you know, my dad, my my dad went to residential school, and you know, he he still doesn't share some of the stuff. I hear it from um, his classmates. Oh, he got strapped, you know, and as soon as your your dad talked, got a whip, you know, and you know th- those kind of stories make you. You hurt, you know, close to your, makes the lump in your throat and makes you, you want to do more, better for your community. Despite the the uh, the kind of horrific nature of some of what you've said and and the experiences that, if not you, then your your ancestors have gone through, I still hear an incredible hope in your voices. We are the survivors, mm-hmm. you know, that that's the reality of it. You know that there was over a hundred million of our people that, that perished when non-natives came across on their boats. There was a hundred million of us that died. We are the ancestors of the survivors, you know, and to us, that's in our bloodline. And I keep saying that our bloodline has memory. We, no matter what we went through, we've been through such horrific things throughout our generations of generations, like it goes back to even further than residential school. It goes even before that. They took our land and put us into hecking concentration camps, reserves or concentration camps. Let's be realistic here. You know what I mean? We were living off the land free as we possibly could. And then we got told no. And then everybody, you know, the majority of us got slaughtered. And that's, you know, all of that, that's intergenerationals. You know what I mean? Everybody talks about, you know, 
residential school, but we can go back further and further and further. And I can go on and on and on, but we won't. But I'm just saying <laughs> that that needs to be recognized as well. That, you know, that that plays a role too. And I keep saying that connection to the land is important to us. And we need to give that back to our kids one way or another. And that's what we're fighting for right now with our program, with the things we're doing. Like we set up... Um, uh, suicide task force team that we were involved in and you know we're trying to counteract on that aspect but that's only touching a, 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 a touch of <laughs> fragment of what needs to be done overall everything needs to be revamped you know all our programs like the school is is finally catching up yeah. and they're 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 going to be going and they're doing that when it comes to the culture and when it comes to the land and when it comes to those programs to get our kids back to reconnect it's been such a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thank you. Thank you so much. No, you're welcome. And thank you for the invite. And sorry for talking so much. <laughs> Aaron Korshen and Linda Dory are counselors in the Sagin Anishinaabe First Nation community in Manitoba. And Derek Henderson is the chief of that nation. It strikes me that their work, their collective commitment is pretty much an old prayer come to life. Be strong enough to stand alone. Be yourself enough to stand apart. But be wise enough to stand together when the time comes. I'm Peter Downey. Thanks for listening. Now I or thank you to Chief Derek, Aaron, Lynn, and Peter for helping us to understand a path to suicide prevention. One thing we've seen throughout this pandemic is a return to the land, a return to our stronghold. However, suicide continues to follow us. Communities like Sagin are on the right path. They are breaking trail, but yet so much more to understand and to be done. We are trying to correct centuries of abuse and loss that have left many indigenous people wondering who they are and what it means to be Indigenous. I heard several important words. Recognition of the memories, both good and bad, that have impacted our spirituality is the starting point. Some of us suppress the memories, but others remember to the point that it brings pain to self and others. Then we have to remember resiliency the resiliency of our ancestors that helped us to continue to walk on Mother Earth. We can draw strength from the ancestors and from those who walk in a good way with a good mind. We should all be responsible. Responsible for self, others, creation, gifts of the land, and most importantly, our children. We expect them to be our leaders and must equip them with goodness and wisdom. Responsibility also extends to those who need healing from the intergenerational trauma that Aaron talked about. We need to help them heal so they can provide their children, nieces, nephews with the goodness of being indigenous. A part of this healing is reclamation of those things that were taken away. Traditional values, ceremonies, language, identity, innocence, family, all of those things that were a part of our good way of life. Many indigenous people believe that all things have a spirit. 
It may not be the same kind of spirit that we find inside ourselves, but it is a spirit that affects who we are and what we do. Not all spirits are good, and we need to recognize when we are being attacked by those spirits that are not good. We cannot let them rule. We must chase them away with ceremonies, prayers, smudging, or other appropriate ways of the community. I believe that goodness can protect us and that we have good ways. We must listen to the whisper of the Creator saying, you are good and you have purpose upon Mother Earth where I have placed you. Ona.